Hey everybody, it's the 22nd of April, uh, 2021. This one may have a little life to it. This is, this is going to be more than just a straight breakfast with Bill. Started putting this together last night and sitting there looking at everything that's going on. And, and by the way, this is about Russia and Ukraine. And I know for before a bunch of you farmers say, what does that really got to do with our grain prices? What's that got to do with our livestock prices? Uh, you're talking about what used to be before World War One, the breadbasket of the world. And after the Soviet Union collapsed, it has become somewhat of the bread breadbasket of a big chunk of the world. Uh, you, you, okay, let's let's go back a little bit here between Russia and Ukraine. You know, back uh, after the well, when the when Russia when the Russian czar went down, and you had the big Russian Civil War. What happened at the end of World War One, and that was when Poland got its freedom. By the way, Poland Poland was basically carved up between. Uh, part of Germany and it was part of Russia and the the Poles they won their freedom at the end of the Russian Civil War the Ukrainians didn't the Ukrainians lost and of course then in the 1930s Stalin was worried about a whole bunch of people in Ukraine that would be more interested in being ethnic German than backing the Russians and he starved a whole bunch of them to death literally took their grain away from them and starved them to death. And then you look at how many Russian soldiers died taking the Ukraine back from the Germans in World War II. And just one example, one battle. After the Battle of Kursk in the summer of 1943, that fall and kind of winter, late summer, fall and winter, they had the, the Battle of the Dnieper River. Uh, the Dnieper River is the river that goes through Kiev. Kiev's split in half by that. It's west of the Volga River, and the Volga River has, yes, Stalingrad on it, which is no longer called Stalingrad. But, you know, you're talking about, quote-unquote, Mother Russia here. Well, the Russians suffered 1.6 million dead in the battle for the Dnieper River. Now, in World War II, the United States total dead, and the whole thing was 416,000. So you're talking about four times as many Russian dead as American dead in the whole war in just one battle. Okay, eastern Ukraine's got a lot of ethnic Russians in it. Uh, and, and the reason a lot of this was done was for Khrushchev and them, after Stalin died, did some things for some political reasons. They put the Crimea in with Ukraine and because they wanted to make sure they could control all the areas of their country and make sure they didn't have a little hiccup or a little problem, they turned around and put a lot of ethnic Russians in with these other populations so they could make sure that they would get the local politics correct. So you have a lot of ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine. And by the way, eastern Ukraine is a lot more heavily industrialized than far western Ukraine is. Of course, far western Ukraine is, quote-unquote, the frontier. It's next to places like Poland, Hungary, Romania. Uh, that, that That's kind of the frontier. The, the east is where you have the more, we got the big rivers, you have the more industrialization. And oh, by the way, there's a city called Odessa that's in Ukraine. And for years, a lot of people, everybody associated Odessa with Russia. Well, okay. Uh, 
that kind of gives a little background on what's there. Uh, so let's let's kind of bring us up to where we are right now. More Russian airplanes in the, in the Crimea than previously thought. We kind of thought we had an idea, and all of a sudden, oop, there's a lot more there. There's a huge Russian mobilization going on right now. Mobilizations cost money. And there's people that saying that this is the biggest Russian mobilization, even bigger than what some of them they did during the Cold War, bigger than what they did in Afghanistan. It's the biggest Russian mobilization since World War II. Bigger than Afghanistan. Just think about that. And R- R- Russia has to do something to do due to the cost of mobilization. And we'll talk a little bit more about mobilization uh, as we get along. But when you mobilize all those service members and you start doing all those quote-unquote war games and practices and you start moving all these people around, that costs you a lot of money. And quote-unquote, the clock starts ticking because you got to do something or you got to demobilize eventually. Uh a Belarus and Transnistria, which, by the way, how many people even know what that is? That's a that's a little breakaway area between Moldova and Ukraine, and Moldova's uh, kind of west of Odessa does not border the Black Sea, but this ter- Transnistria is, is kind of basically a valley with a river in it that kind of wants to break off and and be separate. And let's just look at what Russia wants. They want want the Crimea. They would really like all the Ukraine east of the Dnieper River and the Black Sea coast all the way to Moldova, all the way to Odessa. So what's this going to affect? Well, we've got commodity markets. We have energy markets. We've got the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That, that could be just a huge, huge thing with it. Um, in 2014, Russia annexed Crimea. Uh, and I find it interesting, after World War II, the Soviets deported all the indigenous Crimean Tartars. Now, they've let some of them, after the, after the Soviet Union collapsed, they let some of them come back now. But they just moved the whole native population off of Crimea after World War II. Just, you're gone. Uh, the, the Black Sea in the past, too, has been called a Russian lake. And, and if you look back when Putin was, quote-unquote, growing up and they had the Soviet bloc, you know, we had the Cold War going on, you had the Iron Curtain and everything. Well, you had Russia, because Ukraine was part of, really, the Soviet Union at the time. You had Romania, Bulgaria. I mean, it basically was a Russian lake. You know, the Caucasus uh, are on the uh, eastern side of the, of the Black Sea, so that the, the, the Black Sea was just a Russian lake. Now, another little tidbit that went on that I think if they had it to do over again, they'd have never done. When the Soviet Union collapsed, there was a bunch of nuclear weapons in Ukraine. I mean a bunch of nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Well, Pressure from the West on the Ukrainians, basically telling them, We're, we'll do economic sanctions on you. We won't give you any bank loans. We won't, we won't let you participate in, quote-unquote, the League of Nations, all these other kinds of things. If you don't give up your nukes and send, send them off to the Russians, because we don't want any more countries getting nukes. We want nuclear non-proliferation. And you got a bunch of green weenies in Germany that are just anti-nuclear big time. Uh and and the at the time, I think you had a lot of German people that didn't want the Americans and the Russians fighting a war over them, between them and through them. But 
I'll quote my father, who's a combat infantryman from World War II, and I think my father has the right to say this. Uh, Germany failed and failed miserably twice in the last century trying to show that they were the best in, in Europe. And when you do stupid things like that, you end up generally paying consequences for a long time. But Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons. And, and of course, I, I'd like to ask the question, how there's been like 14,000 people die in this uh, kind of low-level intensity insurgency that's been going on in eastern Ukraine ever since 2014. And if Ukraine had nuclear weapons, I would say a couple things. One, Russia never would have took the Crimea. Two, uh, you probably wouldn't have had the 14,000 people dead. And three, we maybe wouldn't be sitting here today talking about the potential for Russia to come in and basically push Ukra- push the Ukrainian government out a lot of area that is now called Ukraine that maybe in the past wasn't, but that's the way the lines were drawn on the map. Um, R- R- Russia wants... East of the Dnieper River, it's hard to say the Dnieper River. Sorry about that. I'm I speak Kentuckian better than I do English at times, but I digress. The Black Sea coast all the way to Odessa, which basically would make Ukraine a landlocked country. Uh, and my guess is too that that Putin would like to have Kiev because before Moscow, of course, Moscow was called Muscovy, and before Saint Petersburg, back. Oh, five, six hundred years ago, the capital of that area, the world, uh, was Kiev. So there's a lot of Russians that look at Kiev as, as really part of it. And Kiev is literally split half and half on the Dnieper River. So how, how wide does this affect the United States agriculture? Well, Ukraine and Russia, southern Russia are huge wheat and corn exporters out of the Black Sea. And, and if, if Russia does that, basically, and I'll go through some numbers here in a little bit, uh, you're, you're going to take you're going to take half of the Ukrainian grain production and put it back in with Russia, and then if Ukraine wants to ex- export anything out through the Black Sea, they're going to have to go through Russia and pay the Russians to do it. And the Russians would exert a lot of control over the Ukrainian economy if you cut Ukraine off from the Black Sea. Uh, that's that's the big thing about agriculture here. Uh, I'll, just, let, just let me use a little example here. Kazakhstan is basically a landlocked country between Russia, China, and all the other stands uh, south of it that, that end up bordering, you know, Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, all that kind of stuff. Well, Kazakhstan exports a lot of their goods to China overland, but they also export stuff out through the Black Sea, and they got to pay the Russians to do it. And I find it interesting that the, the Russians have this tax on the Russian wheat, but Kazakhstan wheat is available through the Black Sea ports, and it doesn't have to have a tax paid on it. So just a little side note, I wonder how much Russian wheat's getting relabeled Kazakhstan wheat so it doesn't have to get the tax paid on it. And and if you did that with Ukraine, then the Russians would have the ability to play with the Ukrainian stuff too. And so, okay, what what's the West, quote unquote, Western Europe and the United States? You know, Russia's a big energy market. Russia sends a lot of gas, natural gas to Europe. Europe needs that Russian natural gas. You know, and, it, and you'd start doing more sanctions. 
a, a lot of times those economic sanctions may hurt us anymore as much as it'll hurt the Russians. This has huge implications for the liberal world order. Uh, they, the fact that the Russians moved on Crimea when Obama was in office in 2014. Uh, them and Trump pretty much had some type of deal where nobody did a whole lot. I know Trump talked about some stuff, but Russia never moved. Now that Biden's back in there, it looks like, like Putin's going to move again. Uh, and while all this is going on in Ukraine, you have the United States-China tensions over Taiwan. And I don't need to tell the ag community what would happen if all of a sudden we get into a hot war with China and we lose all those exports. Uh, that would be the down elevator in the grain market. Believe me, that would be the down elevator in the grain market. It would be one of those things that you really, really would want to make sure that you had you had covered. Uh, okay. Russian mobilization, over 100,000 men. They got a flotilla of amphibious ships, tanks, artillery, armored personnel carriers. They've mobilized a military hospital, hundreds of airplanes. They got attack helicopters, airborne troops. They brought smoke generators, jamming equipment, motorized rifle unit, armored units, reconnaissance drones. Now, I think this is more than Putin just testing Biden. Uh, and, and like I said, when you spend that much money to mobilize it, you're going to want something for all your efforts. You're literally going to want something for all that time and effort that you put into that deal. Uh, you're, you're just, you're just going to want something. And, and what, what comes about, what goes out of that, I, I don't know. But... Uh, you know, and, and here's the question too: Can Putin get something without firing a shot? That's that's the big question. Uh, can he block uh, Ukraine from joining NATO? Uh, I think that's another thing he'd like to do. He'd like to keep Ukraine out of NATO. Uh, and, and can he get some territory without firing a shot? Uh, or do, or since we're against the United States is against the Nord Stream two gas pipeline. Can he say, hey, uh, buy me off here, let the Germans go ahead and make this Nord Stream 2 pipeline so we can start selling natural gas directly to them? And of course, that helps their economy big time. The West really only has economic sanctions and to send military hardware to the Ukrainians and get the Ukrainians to do the fighting for them. Now, let, let's talk about Ukraine global exports. Now, it, it varies from year to year, but these are averages over the last several years. 10% of the world wheat, 16% of the world barley, 15% of the world corn, 4% of the world poultry, poultry exports. And Russia, if they would go all the way to the uh, Dnieper River and to Odessa along the Black Sea coast, they would take about half of that over. Russia already got about 20% of the world wheat exports and about 17% of the world barley exports. So you'd be talking 25% of the world wheat and basically 25% of the world barley exports. R Russia would be, quote-unquote, kind of king in that deal. Um, there's a huge transportation advantage out of the Black Sea. I don't think I need to tell that to a lot of people. It's, it's close to a lot of countries. It's right hooked right up to the Mediterranean. So all the countries like Egypt, Algeria, all those countries, uh, Southern Europe, 
you can, you know, pu- pull things around different ways. It, it's it's strategically located. Let's just put it that way. I mean, there wouldn't have been the charge of the light brigade if the British and the French weren't worried about the Russians taking it over from the Turks back in the 1850s. But uh, the United States Senate, uh, they passed a bill yesterday unanimously to increase military aid to Ukraine. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a big, that's, that's big when you, I mean, nobody descended from that. Uh, the Ukraine president is basically saying we're ready for a war with Russia. He vows to stand to the last man. He signed a law calling up the reservists for military service. Um, people in Kiev, supposedly, this is what I've been told, are locating bomb shelters, storing food, preparing for possible evacuation by car to Western Ukraine. Of course, you know, if, if Russia was massing 100,000 troops outside my borders along with everything else, I'd be thinking about, does the car have plenty of gas in it and do we have the bug out bag ready? Uh, you know, P- Putin had a had a press conference yesterday and in it he mentioned the Warsaw Pact. And I just mentioned the fact that he mentioned that because that tells you a little bit about what the man's thinking. He's 68 years old. He's going back in time to when he was a younger person. And is he really wanting things the way they used to be? Which would be a whole lot of the Soviet Union put back into Russia and not tore up and tore apart like it it is. And he probably looks at the map and probably uh, stews and frets over it. Uh, Ukraine's also digging trenches, fortifications. You know, anybody got a track hoe? I you know and and the question is a lot of a lot of big farmers in the United States and I'm sure farmers around the world have some heavy equipment that a government could appropriate at any time to get some things done and maybe your hired man that knows how to run it which is maybe going to put a little hurt on how we get all the farming done in that part of the world. Putin also said in his uh, speech to do not cross his red line. And my guess is his red line's a little bit stouter red line than what some other red lines have been. Uh, is he calling out Obama and Biden when he does, when he talks about the red line? I mean, that's a question you got to look at. Uh, when Putin took over the Crimea in 2014, Obama basically stood down and let it happen. But then I'm also not sure what a whole lot Obama could have done to stop the thing. Uh, another thing that went on just earlier this week, the Czech Republic arrested 10 members of a paramilitary group who were working with uh, the embassy staff from Russia in in the Czech Republic. And they were basically recruiting people to go fight against the Ukrainians in eastern Ukraine for the Russian ethnic minorities. So you, you, got, you got proof there that stuff's going on. Um, you know, I, I, I love this possible future quote from Putin. All I want is peace, a piece of Ukraine. Uh, the Biden administration is preparing options for supplying military equipment to the Ukrainians if the Russians attack. But maybe, you know, Zero Hedge has a really good article on maybe the already the bubbles burst and we're making new highs. But the bubbles really burst on the stock market and stuff. And I'm guessing a good old hot shooting war. You know, in in years past, that's always been, quote unquote, good for economies. It's always caused inflation. I'm not sure that's going to happen or, you know, or not. Now, 
if if there's not a war in Ukraine, if there's a peaceful settlement to this, uh, there's people saying that, that Ukraine could rebound and actually uh, increase grain exports by up to 19% this coming year. Uh, they, they could get up to 54 million metric tons total, 29.5 million metric tons of corn, 20 million metric tons of wheat, and 4.3 million metric tons of barley. So if everything goes good and nothing goes stupid over there, they could actually get back in there. Now, what I think Putin could do, I think he could call this a peacekeeping mission to address the instability and to protect the Russian-speaking population in eastern Ukraine. This is not a war. This is a peacekeeping mission. And we're here, and we're here you know, to, to make peace. Um, you know, I'm just going to end on the mobilization part. Well, once Putin started mobilizing, that means he was dead serious. Uh, you know, you go back to World War I. Once mobilization started, it was impossible to stop. Now, with modern countries, it's a little bit different than what it was back then. But Russia has invested very, very heavily to mobilize this much. And Putin's put out a kind of don't cross my red line, but we really don't know where his red line is going to be drawn yet. Uh, Russia's going to need a return on this investment. I don't see how Putin can walk away from this getting absolutely nothing out of this deal. Not spending that much money, not cranking it up that much, not putting that much stuff out there. Uh, he's going to have to do something. And, and the United States military moved up to, to DEFCON 3. Um, and if Putin does end up getting all of Ukraine to the Dnieper River and all the Black Sea coast to Odessa, uh, then what's left of Ukraine is pretty hard to defend, not a whole lot there, and then it makes it really hard to put it into NATO. Uh, you know, does NATO let a reduced Ukraine uh, in or does it just kind of let Ukraine fall into the Russian slash Soviet orbit? Now, you got to go back to these guys because these guys at one time had an empire that stretched all over the world. And they probably know as much about stuff going on or more times than we do even in this country. But a senior British official thinks an invasion is imminent. Uh, and so the question I ask, if, if, the, if, if the British intelligence is thinking something's going to go on, it's going to go on pretty fast, why'd they send the two warships into the Black Sea? Or did they send the two warships into the Black Sea to help evacuate uh, British and other Western uh, you know, people that would possibly be stuck in Ukraine while this crazy thing's going on? This has got huge implications, folks, for United States agriculture. I know you're going to think, well, this is getting rid of some competition. This is doing some things. But how we come out on the other side of this, um, whether Ukraine's able to withstand the Russian onslaught and still maintain some of its ports, or whether Russia actually does take over basically half the Ukrainian agricultural production and then makes Russia that much more of an agricultural powerhouse in that part of the world, and, you know, if China tries to do something stupid in the South China Sea or do something stupid in uh, Taiwan while all this is going on with Ukraine, uh, I'm not saying rush out there and sell a bunch of stuff tomorrow. I'm just saying this is something that needs to be 
looked at, needs to be paid attention. I'm not going to call it a black swan because it's been there and it's been around, but maybe the size of what Putin would do would be a black swan because it would be more than a lot of people would ever think about. Wow. They haven't fought in Ukraine since 19, what, 44, 45. And uh, that, that, that area of the world has had in, in ancient history and in, in times past, you know, you had, not, you had the Mongols, you had the Tartars, you had the Turks, you had the Russians, you had, you know, the Crimea has been fought over. You know, you could make the argument that, that Crimea really belongs to Turkey if you want to go back far enough. You know, the Ottoman Empire at one time controlled the, the Crimea. Uh, that area of the world, you know, you're right there next to the Balkans where crazy things have happened. Well, hey, I've went a little long this morning, but I just thought this is something that ought to be talked about, something you ought to be thinking about. You know, you may want to search Ukraine in your search engine every night and just see what's going on there and plan accordingly because it's something like this that could screw up what the really good stuff we got going on right now. And it could spill over into a lot of other areas and a lot of other places. Well, hey, I'm on Spotify now. Just wanted to let everybody know that. Besides being on Anchor, I'm now up on Spotify. You can get me. I'll at some point put the link up for Spotify. It's a little bit more difficult. I had a nice comment this morning from an individual. Uh, this I'm probably less less likely to get canceled. It's a little bit more hassle, I know, for you folks to find me. It's not live. We don't get the interaction. It works better with the the internet and the cell phone service that I have right now. And it's just maybe the way that we're going to have to do it in the future. Well, hey, with that, to the smartest audience in agriculture, I appreciate all the shares. I appreciate all the comments. Um, watch this Ukrainian thing, folks. It, it get real stupid, real dumb, real ignorant, real quick. Thanks. Hey, everybody. 23rd of April. After we had the big day yesterday in the grain markets, corn lock limit up. Now, this morning, corn's back off a little bit, but it's a Friday. Uh, these markets have been running pretty hard. Not surprising to see a little profit taking. People wondering what's going to go on over the weekend. Uh, but yesterday was an interesting day. We pushed corn up to, uh, you know, one of the points that we're looking at, you know, that 649 level. Uh, yeah, that's right, 649 level. Uh, but, um, you know, listen to a few of the, the technical analysis people that I think are pretty smart on this thing. You know, there, there's not a whole lot up above this market if it goes up a little bit more. You're, you're looking at going back into the 2008-2012 territory. And, and who'd, ever, who'd ever thought a year ago, while we had the pandemic going on, while markets were going down, while everything was going down, you know, I'm going to talk here a little bit about the stock market. You know, the S&P 500 got down to around 18-something, uh, give or take, like 1838, 1883, I forget where it is. And the S&P 500 today, even after being off almost 40 points, is 4135, 4134 and a lot of change. Uh, that's, it, it more than doubled. The stock market more than doubled, the, or the S&P 500 did, uh, more than doubled from the bottom of the quote-unquote pandemic to the top. You know, almost makes you wonder if the pandemic wasn't put on by people just to, just to trade the stocks. But it wasn't, but that's how it came on. 
But, you know, the stock market was off the highs, uh, the tax policy, and we're going to talk a little bit about the tax policy here, uh, markets and the tax policy. You know, Europe, uh, they're still pushing negative interest rates. And I tell you what, is is somebody looking at retirement, is somebody getting along in years, the fact that your retirement savings are basically going to get taxed with a negative interest rate. And I get it. They're wanting their economy to keep going. They're wanting people to spend money instead of save money. They're wanting people to invest money instead of saving money. Well, part part of this, part of this, let's let's get down to it really where we're at. Uh, especially in the West, we got an aging population. And that aging population is looking at retiring. And we didn't have as many kids. You know, the, the, the old formula was you have more kids than, than what the two of you are. Uh, you know, you, you have a married family and they have anywhere from, you know, two to ten kids. Well, the population keeps growing. So you keep having more young consumers because people at a young age are at the age where they buy houses, they buy cars, they consume. But now that we don't have as many young people, and I can tell you, I, I know of families where the grandparents have have one grandchild. You know, they maybe had one or two kids, uh, and then the the one or two kids had one kid, and where grandparents... Now, that's, that's going to be great for that grandkid because they're going to get, quote-unquote, all those assets bundled from, you know, two sets of grandparents down to one grandchild. But on the consuming side... Uh, you've went from basically what right now is three family households. You're going to go to one family household. And that, that my friends, is one reason why you have negative interest rates. They're trying to force people to do something with their money. Uh, but, you know, are you going to throw money into a stock market that's quote-unquote at record highs? And let's talk a little bit about Biden's tax increases and what they did. Uh, the capital gains tax. Capital gains tax... Uh, along with what they're wanting to do with inheritance tax. And and the big thing about the inheritance tax, they're wanting to get rid of stepped-up basis, which means when you increase, and, and I tell you what, just Biden's 44% tax rate. And I know you could say, well, that's only if you make over a million dollars. Go sell 80 acres of farm ground today, folks, and you're probably going to get a million bucks. And there's a lot of farm families that have some life insurance and then had some buy-sell agreements and everything else in their tax planning. But just just take my state that has a 5% flat income tax that basically gets put on the capital gains. Well, you take 44% plus 5, that's 49%. You're giving up half the money. How many people are not going to sell anything Stay in a stay in quote unquote either a bad investment or invested in something. You know, I I can hear it now. Yeah, I got a farm for my brother. I got a farm for my sister. I was going to buy them out, but they didn't want to give up half the money in taxes, and they want high cash rent. I can hear the farmers complaining now. And 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 you know what? If I was that heir and I was looking at a forty four percent, you know, plus five forty nine percent tax rate. And there's no stepped-up basis. So, you know, go back to, well, let's see, Grandpa bought that farm for 200 bucks an acre. You might as well say zero. You're giving half of it up in taxes. Bitcoin, I, I, I find it interesting. Bitcoin was off yesterday pretty good, too. 
uh, took a really big hit because of that capital gains. And everybody that owns Bitcoin has a capital gains tax laying up against it. And I, yeah, you know, you read, you read, read a couple very liberal cryptocurrency Bitcoin people, and they've made a lot of money. But they're like, well, Bitcoin's going to power through this. This is this is being purchased by people that are going to hold it long term. You know, you know, blah 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 blah, basically. But Bitcoin went down when the capital gains tax rate went up, and and I think that's so classic taxes. Of course, of course, I love the line. Uh, you know, from a movie, won't share too many details about the movie, but taxes are so not rock and roll. And how how many performers have gotten in trouble because they never paid the taxes? Uh, hello, Willie Nelson. But uh, I digress. There, the 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 implication of these higher taxes is going to reverberate throughout the economy, throughout investments, throughout what people are going to do with things. And let's just kind of look at some of these outside markets while we're talking about these very, very high corn and soybean prices. Crude's at $60, give or take a little bit. It was kind of maybe just a little bit more, $61, 62 uh, Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good price for crude oil. But in today's inflated market, in today's price of everything costing more, uh, 60 bucks, way, way well off the $140 highs that we've seen not that many years ago. Gold's at 1800 Yeah, that's a pretty strong price from where we were, but you're talking negative interest rates in Europe. Uh, not near as high as what it was just a little bit ago. Silver, you know, 26 to 27 and And, you know, with silver, we can go, we can go back with silver to uh, when the Hunt brothers... Uh, when the Hunt brothers was, you know, trying to corner the silver market back in the early 70s. And, you know, we were talking about $50 silver. And it wasn't just that long ago here in, what was that, 2008 or something, we got to $50 silver. We just hit $30 silver, and we're talking, you know, 26 27 But, oh, one thing I do want to mention uh, to, for all you people out there. High prices will cure high prices. South Africa is estimating that their corn crop is going to be about 7% more than what it was last year. And I know South Africa is not the world player that it, did, that it once was. I know years ago before Brazil became the powerhouse that, that it was, or that it is, sorry, in, in agriculture production, you know, you would look at Argentina and South Africa to see what their winter, what in our term would be winter, their summer crop was doing. Because that was kind of one of the competitors, uh, and and a crop that when you know we we would have a drought or we'd have a little bit of shortage or we'd have a price run up, it always seemed like South Africa, you know, planted a few more acres, harvested a little bit more. So I I think you're seeing there that uh, you know there's going to be all kinds of little places around the world that's going to try to or, or are going to raise a little more to help fill this demand. And that's one of the way high prices cure high prices is you get production in all kinds of places that you normally don't get that production in or that increase in production because everybody's going to plant everything that they can get, you know, basically run. They're, they're going to, they're probably running big offset discs and everywhere they can right now to break out a bunch of this ground in Africa and South America. 
I know uh, one person told me every do every dollar up in uh, soybeans was another million hectare acres or another million hectares, um, uh, and which is what by like two point four million acres of soybeans that'll be planted in Brazil next year. Kansas City wheat six dollars and seventy cents new contract high new high new high contract close. Uh, you know I've talked about it for a long time sorry to you people in the national wheat growers association wheat's kind of been the poverty grass in this whole deal and as once again you know the the wheat's harvested all over the world it's harvested almost every month of the year and until you get this wheat market moving it's hard to get the rest of the complex moving but it sure appears like to me a lot of the feed wheat's going to get sucked up by a lot of countries and fed while this high corn price is going on, which is effects, if, if, which effectively will essentially, at some point in time, affect the global grain trade. Frozen meat stocks tighten too. Man, it just seems like you can't get your hands on anything. Um, yeah, a friend of mine, he sold a bunch of $6 corn, a bunch of $14 soybeans, and, and I know he operates on a cash basis. I know he doesn't have... If he's got any money borrowed at all, it's maybe some long-term money on some ground. And and he was like, Graf, I'm a farmer that just sold $6 beans and $14 corn, and that was probably about half his crop. And he goes, I can't find a new pickup truck or a new tractor to buy anywhere. That's the market that we're in, folks. That's where we're at. Um, there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of craziness going on. Um I mean, even in outside the markets, whoever thought you'd have OJ, uh, you know, ripping on LeBron, Le, LeBron James on Twitter about a knife fight. I mean, the irony of all that. Wow. Uh, it can't, you know, about the time you think it can't get any crazier, it does. And it's probably going to continue that way. And I can tell you between the lockdowns, the pandemic, everything else. It's it's working on people. It's working on the markets. Uh, you know the chip shortage. We could talk about the chip shortage all day long if we wanted to. Um, I just hope I don't have a major breakdown because I'm just beginning to wonder how we're going to get things fixed and how you go forward if you have that major breakdown. Well, hey, with that, here's to everybody out there. I think there'll be a few planners rolling today. I think some people will get back at it. Uh, think things will get started again. You know, they're talking about some warmer weather, but some also rains coming. So we'll see how everything goes. You know, the fast start to the crop that started, but the snowstorm kind of put a slow down. Didn't put a kaitis to it, but it sure slowed everything down. And we're going to see how this corn uh, fares into this ground that got. I was seeing some temperatures one and three quarter inch deep thermometers which if you planted the corn two inches deep that's within a quarter inch of the corn and they had 33 degree soil temperatures at that level wow well hey just kind of touch it on the markets a little bit this morning uh, not a whole lot of comments on the corn and soybeans because there's a whole lot of people out there commenting a whole lot but pay attention to the stock market you know if that thing pukes and rolls over that's going to affect us you know europe is really pushing these negative interest rates and that's going to be interesting to see where that goes you know this this tax policy that the progressive liberals are pushing that biden's going along with uh that's gonna that's gonna affect some markets too uh you know what 
And well, the question I have, if, if, if some of these people that jumped into Bitcoin big time, if they jump their money out of Bitcoin, then where does it go? And watch your energy markets. You know, at the end of the day, a, a big chunk of this corn usage is for ethanol. It is an energy crop. Uh, crude being at 60 bucks sure helps. You know, it was just a couple days ago that a year ago you had negative, what, $40 a barrel oil. Or as somebody told me, a guy started buying oil at a penny a barrel and before the end of the day he had a $9 million margin call because the market had went down that much. Crazy, crazy times that we're going through here, folks. Crazy markets, crazy stuff. Um, sure appreciate all the shares, appreciate everything going on. I'm going to try to get a podcast out here if it rains, talk about uh, what I did the last basically four years and then uh, kind of talk a little bit about Trump's ag policy and where I see the ag policy moving forward. Well, hey, with that, to the smartest audience in agriculture. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening.